of various different kinds, many businesses, not all, but most businesses, will conduct an inventory. That is, they will go around and see how much stuff is on their, their shelves or in their um, crates or on their, their pallets or, or whatever, because companies need to know what's on their shelves so that they can know what they can sell or know what they can ship out or know that the, the parts are there ready to be assembled the manufacturing line. They need to have enough supplies to, to hand to be able to offer services to their customers. Right? A cleaning business needs to make sure they have enough soap on there. A plumber needs to make sure he has enough plumbing fixtures and so on and so forth. Oftentimes they will do an inventory. And, and the reason why is because it's important for business to know what's actually on the shelves. I mean, you just, just think about it. If a database says there are three items on a shelf, you're talking with a customer, you said, yeah, well, I'll, we'll deliver that out. We'll send it out in the, the mail on, on Monday. And um, then you go back and you find nothing on your shelf. Your inventory was wrong. You go back to your customer and you say, well, sorry, I know you need it right away, but we can't, we'll, we'll get it to you next week. And if you miss a deadline and if you fail in a promise, you, you just lose customers. So inventory is is important. Now, sometimes businesses shut down their entire organization for just a long weekend, perhaps, and just say, we're, we're shut down for inventory. Maybe you've been to a place and it just closed for inventory. Sometimes places will um, you know, do it um, during the holiday season, even, when the business isn't quite as much like, say, between Christmas and New Year's. Sometimes companies will um, will conduct their inventories on a regular annual basis, sometimes three to six months, whatever. Sometimes just part, piece by piece, a little bit every, every week, every time, every day. We don't know exactly, but they're always looking to see, is there a discrepancy between what's on the shelf and what I, I think I have on the shelf? Well, when it comes to our spiritual condition, it's, it's good for us to take a, an inventory, to really step back and, and look what's on our shelf, our spiritual shelf, if you will, See where we are with our, our walk to our God, with our God. And it may be that, that what's on the shelves is different than what's in our, our mind. It's really not true once you begin to examine yourself. And so that's my message this morning. It's entitled, Taking Inventory. Really taking inventory of your life. Because I believe that's what First John teaches us this morning. If you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles. First John. We are in First John. Chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. I'm sorry, verses 19 to 24. 19 to 24. These verses really are, are almost smack dab in the middle of the, of the book, and it's a good point really to stop, shut down everything, and just say, okay, let's, let's inventory our lives. 1 John 3, 19 through 24. By this... We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And the verse 19 is what sets up this whole paragraph very well. It says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart 
before him. This is the inventory that I want all of us to take this morning. Are you of the truth? As John says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Are you of the truth? For business, it's very helpful to know what's on their shelves. You lose your business if your inventory wasn't kept up to date. But with your spiritual condition, if your spiritual condition isn't kept up to date, and you're deceived about that, that can have eternal consequences. I mean, losing a customer is one thing. But losing your soul is entirely another. I mean, the last thing in the world that you want is is to think one thing of yourself, only to realize that when the judgment comes, your assessment of your own life was incorrect. And I tell you, one, one of my jobs as a pastor is to prepare you for that day. I mean, really, in some regards, that's all that matters. Is how are you going to stand before God in that day? Now, a lot of what you do here, a lot of what you believe here and now has implication for that day. But my job as a pastor is to prepare you for that day. And I just don't want you to be deceived. And this is one of those messages that will, will open, it, open it up and just say, are you, are you true and you genuine? Because on the judgment day, there will be many people, as Jesus said, who will be deceived. Jesus said, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, passage that really... God used in my life in great ways. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And they are saying, Lord, Jesus. They're calling Jesus by name. They're saying, Jesus, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? Religious people. Who failed to take inventory because Jesus said, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They thought they were okay because they had all these religious deeds and they had all these things that they thought were on the shelf. But in that final day, their shelf was empty. So that's why I want us to take an inventory, take an inventory of our our soul. And in fact, 1 John is really all about that. As we've been going through 1 John, it's, it's all about taking inventory, and it's very repetitive, and we're just going to go at it again. And, and texts, particularly like this one here, help us to prevent the tragedy of many people on that day expecting glory and getting damnation. And my hope is that you all will inventory right, that, that you will see what's on your shelf, if you will. You see, when a business takes an inventory and discovers they lack some parts they need, they get on it right away. They say, oh, we need these parts for the shelf. And they'll maybe order some and and put them away. And likewise, if you take a spiritual inventory in your life and see that you're lacking in an area, be like a good business and take action. Repent of your sin. Cry out to Christ. Maybe renew your, your your own heart. When Paul wrote to those in Corinth in the church, by the way, he said, examine yourselves. To see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves. That Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. And here he was telling the church. To test yourself to see if you're in, your, in the faith. And this is the same deal. Verse 18. I'm sorry. Verse 19. We shall know by this that we are of the truth. And, and the message I've chosen this morning. Is not an exam. Like Paul did in 2 Corinthians 13. It's more this inventory 
idea, inventory of your life. And the aim of our text is that your hearts would be convinced. This is, this is not coming from a, from a bad perspective. This is coming from a pastoral perspective. As he says there in verse 19, by this we shall know that we're of the truth. In other words, be assured and be promised and, and know in your heart of hearts that you are of the truth. And verse 19 even says, and that we shall reassure our heart before him. Uh, that, that word is persuade, that you would persuade your heart that you are, are with him. And so John so wants your heart and my heart to be fully assured that you are of the truth, to know that you're saved, to know that you love Christ and that you have Christ in your, in your life and that you have eternal life. That's fully in line with the purpose of John. Chapter 5, verse 15. I say this almost every week. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing that you may know that you might be reassured in your heart that indeed you're of the truth, that you have eternal life. And so today we're taking inventory of you of the truth. I have three points of counsel from the text. First point is this. Look at your heart. Look at your heart. Verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Now, last week I mentioned how these are some of the most difficult this is the most difficult verse in First John to, to translate. It is the most difficult to interpret. When John is very clear, this, this verse isn't quite as clear. Because the interpretation here can go two ways. Either this can be a message of condemnation or it can be a message of comfort. If it is condemnation, verse 20 reads like this. For whenever our heart condemns us, this condemnation can be sure because God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. He knows more than we do. And if we, with our knowledge and our deceitful heart, feel condemnation, then surely God knows even more of our sin and surely will condemn us. It's a possible interpretation. Many pastors and teachers, um, particularly of uh, past generations, really held to this. Whether it's Calvin or Charles Simeon or D. Martin Lloyd-Jones held to this interpretation. Worthy men, for sure. And there's strong reasons for this. Um, I think the strongest is verse 21. Because of the contrast. I mean, look at verse 20. For whenever a heart condemns us, and verse 21 says, if a heart does not condemn us. Verse 20, if a heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God. But verse 20, if a heart does condemn us, ergo, we don't have confidence before God. That would be a, a condemnation. God knows everything, our condemnation is sure, just to make sure where your heart is, more of a warning. That's the first view. The, the second view sees it not as a condemnation, but as a, as a comfort. In that case, verse 20 would read like this, for whenever our heart condemns us, right, when we don't love, like verse 18, I think that's the context, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, meaning that we don't just say we love, but we actually do love, like verse 17 says, Right? If anyone sees his brother and has the world's good, sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Right? But you need to love in action and giving and helping, verse 17 says. And in light of that, we, there can be some condemnation in our heart. Whenever our heart condemns us, right? we don't love like we should, and we know that we don't love like we should, we can be comforted to know that God is greater in the heart. He knows everything. He knows our struggles. He knows our desires to live rightly. And he can bring you assurance even through your doubts. That too is a possible interpretation. Many, particularly today, that's kind of the 
the, the prevailing interpretation of pastors today. People today, I think it's the majority position of our, of our generation. You can see it in Bible translations. Listen to the NIV. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. And there the NIV is doing what the NIV does. It interprets the passage for you better than some of the literal translate, worse than some of the literal translations which say, here's what it is, that's confusing. Well, you figure it out. The Amplified, which is intending to interpret as it applies, it's, it's a good translation of the Amplified Bible. By this we know, without any doubt, that we are of the truth and will assure our heart and quiet our conscience before him. For whenever our heart convicts us in guilt, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Nothing is hidden from him because we are in his hands. You see the comfort there. That is the prevailing interpretation today. And I do believe that interpretation, what that's got going for it, is it's, it's entirely consistent with the message of 1 John. I mean, the aim of the book is to give you comfort and assurance that you have eternal life, as I read in chapter 5, verse 15. And I think that indeed is what verse 19 is getting at. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall reassure our hearts. I mean, John is, is seeking to reassure your hearts, seeking to help comfort you, really know in the depths of your heart that you have eternal life. And he wants his readers to know this. It's a burden of his letter, like the, that you would know this, that you would know of God's love. We sang of God's love, but... But John is talking about, look at chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. It's, it's an amazing thing that, that God is divine and we are human, and yet we still are one of His children. What an amazing thing. And then he gives assurance in chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we as he is he's saying you are god's children he's not writing them so much to say oh you're not right he's writing to say you are and assure your hearts and to know and comfort your hearts in the greatness of god look in chapter 4 verse 4 which we'll look at next week little children you are from god and have overcome them for he was in you is greater than he was in the world you're from god this is it's not that I'm writing in doubt, I'm writing in good faith because there were these people, chapter 2, verse 19, who went out from us. They're not in God, but you've remained because you are are true and you have this anointing, verse 20, you've been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. You're in the truth. You know the truth. It's the whole course of 1 John. It's the melodic line is really know that you're of the truth. And so in that sense, I think that that is a, that is a, it's a comfort because um, that's the, the whole warp and woof of, of what John is. But you know what? If we read these verses and you're not comforted by that, it could be because something's happening in your heart. I'm not telling you to, to override your heart and say, well, my heart's saying, no, I'm not of him. I'm not of him. No, you are. No, if your heart's, if you're looking at your heart in inventory this morning, you say, boy, I, my heart's not there. I really don't have a heart for God. I really am. Well, then, then take that. Don't be comforted by these verses. So really, in the end, it doesn't matter whether it comes as condemnation or comfort. It, it comes to where your heart is. If, if your heart is right and soft and pliable, it will come as comfort to your heart. But if your heart is hard, it will come as condemnation. And perhaps God has been intentionally ambiguous there just to bring the 
the full front of what, what we need. That's why I pray the Spirit would, would help each of us as we look at our, our hearts today. I just say this, though. One of the, your greatest blessings in this life is, is a heart that is sure before God, that knows that you know Him, that loves Him, that has experienced the forgiveness of sins in the gospel, that, that doesn't condemn. In fact, look at verse 21, right? If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And living confidently before God lives a well-contented life before all. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Maybe you've seen that. There are people who are, who are skittish. See, because when people have sinned to hide, they live in a lot of paranoia, like, like lest somebody find out my sin. But those who are right with the Lord can live with little fear. There's nothing to expose. Have you ever considered life in a forest, a life on the African range? Consider the life of a deer. Maybe you've seen deer enough. They, they, they kind of prance around like this and they, their eyes are this and their ears pop up. Maybe you've encountered one hiking or maybe you've been riding your bike or maybe you've been in your car and you slow down. Right, you drive a car and what do they do? There comes a car. What do they do? They run away. If you're a deer hunter waiting for them, right, Phil? If you're a deer hunter waiting for them, you don't want to even, even make any noise. Phil was telling the story with us the other day about this... Eight point, eight point buck you got? So, in my mind it was eight. I was thinking maybe 12, but maybe we'll put it down to six. And he was, he was there in the stand and it was far off. He thought about his rifle and then it got really close. He thought about his, his pistol, but he didn't want to ruffle. Didn't want to ruffle his coat. Let's, let's just even, even getting it out of his coat would, would spook the deer and the deer would, would prance away. Well, if you don't live with confidence before God, you're like a deer. Just scared of everything, skittish, always looking around, ready to flee at a moment's notice. But think about the lion. Right? How, how's a lion walk? Think of Wizard of Oz of I were the king of the forest. Just walk proudly, right? And what's the lion do? He just lies down in his lair, not, not a care in the world. And as he prounces through the forest, he goes where he wants to go. He's not Afraid of, of anything. He walks through the forest boldly. That's what we're talking about. Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And when you are living a life that is a heart that is, is confident before God, you can live like a lion. And that is a huge blessing on your life. A huge blessing. So as you take inventory this morning, I ask you to look at your heart now, this is difficult because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? The idea is nobody can really understand. There are many people who are, are deceived. And so as you look at your heart, listen, right, you are going to have a tendency to justify yourself. Especially people in church oftentimes, they, they know how to play the church game. Case in point, Pharisees. They know how to play the Pharisee game. But Jesus even said, you, right, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That's why we need the Lord's help in these things. The next verse, Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind. So you know what, I, what, I, what I'm going to do is just spend a few moments seeking the Lord's help. Just give you an opportunity. Maybe you don't do this very often. It's just to bow your heads and to deal with the Lord for a few moments. I'm not trying to create undue doubt in your mind, in your heart. But I'm 
I want you to deal with the Lord this moment. The power of a church service, the power of preaching is that it's in this moment that you're really forced to to deal with some things maybe you don't deal with normally in life. Life is busy and passes you by, but now in the quietness of your heart, just just think about it. Do you have confidence before God? Do you know fully of sins forgiven? Do you have a heart that desires God? Do you want more of His ways? Are you repentant in your sin? So let's, let's pray the prayer of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Just plead with the Lord right now, God, to show me. Show me whether I'm hiding my sin or or whether it's exposed and confessed. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? Are you playing a game? It's difficult for me as a pastor to tell. But I know I'm a watchman sounding the warning. For that final day, I can be blameless. This message. Just search yourself. Just say, God, do I have a confident heart before you? Father, I pray that you would expose, that you would open and lay bare. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do. And so, Father, I trust that your spirit right now is doing its dissecting work. Give comfort where needed and give condemnation, O God, where needed. Amen. All right, well, let's move on. We're taking inventory. Are you of the truth? Look at your heart. Secondly, look at your prayers. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, this really flows from verse 21. This is a corollary to walking confidently before God. Beloved, verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, that is, if we have a a heart that's soft and pliable and seeking the Lord, then we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And, and the idea is this, when our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence. We're not fearful of God. Rather, listen, right, we can come to Him as one of His children. And so we know that as we pray, the Lord hears us, and He, he answers prayers with, with good things for us, just as a, as a parent would want good things for his or her child. So God wants good things for us. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? And then talking to the Pharisees, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so it's all bound up in a parent-child relationship is one thing. And Jesus says, arguing from the lesser to the greater, how much greater is God? To give you good things. 
And in fact, it is because of relationship, but it's also because of of how we're walking and how we're living. Look, Look at verse 22. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from him because this is why. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him, because we, we abide in him and because we have confidence in, in God and because we know that we are children of God, we know that he has our best in mind. And what John is saying here is almost exactly like Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Kind of a, a huge promise of answered prayer comes here and so as we come to god as his children seeking help he'll answer our prayers and so as you take inventory this morning i said look at your prayers are your prayers answered so when i say look at your prayers are are they being answered because this is a, a correlate this is how we know that we're of the truth it's how we reassure our heart is that we have confidence before god and and we we receive what we've been asked what we've been asking for. And I just say answered prayer is a sign of confidence before God. And confidence before God is a heart that is a sign that our heart is right before him. And a heart that is right before him is one that is of the truth. And, and the idea here is that if our heart is not right, if we're not believing in Christ, if we aren't loving our brother, verses 17 and 18, if we're living in sin, then God won't hear our prayers. An answered prayer may well be a sign that you're that all is not well with your soul and it might be a sign that your your shelf is empty and you need to you need to fill it because you think it's full and it's not proverbs 28 verse 9 says if one turns his ear away from hearing the law even a prayer is prayer is an abomination in other words, right, in the Hebrew, when we hear, hear means to obey. It means to listen, but it doesn't just mean to sit and listen, be a hearer of the word. It means to be a hearer and a doer of the word. And if someone just doesn't heed the law of God, doesn't obey God, then, as Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, even his prayer is an abomination. In other words, I might say this, if you're not paying attention to the law, if you're not heeding what God says, then what 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 right do you have, even in the first place, asking God? And secondly, perhaps, what, what right do you have in even really praying to the Lord? Why would God answer your prayer? Because he, He's pouring out His Word, and you're like turning a, a, dark, uh, you know, a, a dark eye, a dark ear to it. And then you want something, and you turn to Him. You, why, why would He answer that prayer? On the other side, Proverbs 15.8 says that the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. God delights in the prayer of the upright. And this really is where we are in the text of 1 John, right? If you're walking in an upright way, if you're obeying his commands, if you're loving your brother, in fact, that is precisely why. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments, because we do what pleases him, because we are, are loving our brother, right? When you're obeying God and and pleased in God, you can expect to get answers of prayer in your life. And so the, the big question, are you seeing answers to prayer in your life? If I would ask you, just turn to your neighbor, turn to someone right next to you, and um, just tell them of prayers being answered in your life. Just, just kind of t- turn aside. What, could you tell them specific prayers? 
like, you know what? I was just praying two days ago for this. So I just praying for that. That's a sign that things are well. And if you're blank, it's a sign that maybe there's a something we need to look at. Now, a caveat, okay, before we before we put too much on you, because it's, it's challenging. It it doesn't mean that everything we pray for we get, as if God is some kind of genie, and we're rubbing this this bottle and poof, you know, this big genie appears, and we ask three wishes, and he gives us that. That's not that quite how it works, because over in chapter five, verses fourteen and fifteen. He says this, this is the confidence again that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. But here it is, if we ask anything according to his will, and what what John says in chapter 5 must come down to chapter 3 as well. It's not just carte blanche, anything you want. It is according to his, his will. You know, praying for God to send Someone to give you a new car, that's, you know, just kind of out of the blue. That might happen, that'd be wonderful, but that might not be according to God's will, and that's just kind of the thing that you, you're praying for. Or some people says, well, I'll believe in God if he does this. Well, maybe that's not according to your will, and it's not answering your prayer because it's, it's wicked, right? But let's not lose how open-ended this is. Whatever we ask, we receive from him, but it must be according to his will. And here it is. Truth be known, I think many things we pray for aren't according to His will. Flat out a lot we pray for is not according to His will. And it's not because the things we're praying for are bad or wrong or ungodly. It's just that God is, that's not in His plan. You know, healing is good. We should pray for healing, but sometimes healing is not in His plan. Relief is good, right? When you're under some pressure, say at, say at work or stress in your family, stress, relieving that is, is all good, but that might not be in God's plan. We pray that God would remove these troubles from us, but these troubles might be the very thing that God has brought into your life to help you. That is the will of God. In Kids Club, we're memorizing James. James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Praise God, right? Count it all joy, when the trials are coming because of what the trials are doing in your life. And if you're just praying for, for, um, for God to get rid of those trials, then you're going to lose the benefit of those trials because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the idea is that we might be praying rightly so for relief from these things, but God says, no, these are the very things you need in order to help. Case in, case in point is Paul in... 2 Corinthians 12, he's experienced something called a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what this was, person, illness, some sort of difficulty. It's wonderful. We don't know what it is, so it can be applicable in many circumstances, just like many psalms. We don't know exactly the circumstances of the psalms, but we can relate to the difficulty somewhat. Paul wrote, three times I plead with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh, that it should leave me. And three times God refused to answer his prayer. I mean, can you picture it? He's saying, oh God, I have this thorn in my flesh and it, and it hurts and it's, it's hindered my ministry. And think about how I could go out and, and even spread the gospel. I could go out, I could travel more freely if this thorn wasn't around. And, and could you please, please, oh God, please remove it from me. And God says, no. 
So Paul prays again, Lord, please, it's a, it's a difficult time in my life. I'm, I, I've got an immense amount of pain and it's distracting my mind. I can't give full devotion to you because I've got so much of this and it's pulling me away. Can you please, please remove this from me? And God says, what did God say, everyone? No. no. And, and so Paul prays again. He says, Lord, this is, is killing me. I, it's, it's too difficult to bear. I don't know how much longer I can take it. I'm at the end of my rope. God, please, for, the, for my own sake, my own sanity, please remove this from me. And God says, no. I don't think it was wrong at all for Paul to pray to remove that thorn in his flesh, whatever it was, whether it was health or whether it was people or messenger of Satan, whatever it was to, to get it away. I think that was a good prayer. But just in the... The sovereign plan and will of God, that was not his purpose at that point. And Paul writes, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God had a plan for Paul's life as a plan that brought hardship into his life because that would humble him so that he would not trust in his own power but trust in the power of God. And And that was God's will. And so he said, if it's according to your will, remove this. God says no. And so then Paul, as he processed through, he said this. He says, so maybe you have prayers that you've prayed for, for relief or help or something better. But but God says, no, I've kept those things to humble you. And may you say with Paul, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When, when the circumstances of life have crushed me down, then what i got to do? i got to rely on the power of God. And relying on the power of God, that's when I am genuinely strong. Much stronger than relying upon myself. And God used the thorn to humble Paul and keep him dependent upon the Lord. And many times, I just say this, we don't know what God's plan is for our life. And that's not to say, well, stop praying for those things. No, pray for those things. When Jesus taught to pray, he, he talked about the, the widow, right, whose justice was being delayed. And he kept, she kept coming to this unrighteous judge and said, right, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Give me justice. Finally, the guy says, well, she'll wear me out. I'll just go ahead and take care of it for her. And Jesus says, listen to what the unrighteous judge said. Isn't God much better? And isn't he... Good? Isn't it easier to persuade than an unrighteous judge? And then he says, well, when the Son of Man returns, we find faith on the earth. We find people praying. We find us seeking Him. And it may be the answer is no, and it may be the answer is no for a long time. But I, I think with the Spirit of Paul, we need to just keep on praying. Do you know, even Jesus Himself experienced unanswered prayer to show that not all unanswered prayer is because of sin in your heart. Garden of Gethsemane, the great anguish, you sweating drops of blood. And he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He was requesting that he not go to the cross. And that was not answered. Now, with a caveat, I mean, he said, your will, O God, I'll, I'll do your will. But his request was to have that removed from him. And of course... He bore the wrath of God for our sins, praise God. Praise God that God didn't answer Jesus' prayer. Okay, I come back to this question. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and if you turn to your neighbor and just... Are prayers being answered in your life? 
I want us to do that. Okay? So I want you to just kind of turn to your neighbor. And this might be hard. Turn to your neighbor and just for a very few moments, okay? This is like a, a minute and a half tops. Just may, maybe say, just, you know, and if, if, if there's no neighbor around, you can just, you can just you and the Lord. That would, that would be okay. Just talk, Okay? Just a few more moments here. Okay, let's let's pull it up. Now, I I asked a couple guys this week I meet with, and um, in one instance, a guy went. That's a good question. Like, I don't know. Got to think about that. Someone else, though, just had a, a prayer was prayed and an answer that day. As I think about my own life, I, I know of many unanswered prayers. I often pray for unbelievers I know to come to faith in Christ. And yet, see few that, that do that. I often pray that God would bring more people to church. And we're We're small. I pray for God to stir my passion of heart in greater ways and I see my coldness towards Him. But I do see answers. I see answers every Sunday morning. I, what am I going to say? Just thinking about preaching. Just, it's a hard task. Um, just try teaching a Bible study sometime and it's hard. You just kind of think, what, what am I going to say this week? What am I going to say next week? What am I going to say the week after? And I'm... I'm praying that God would give me help and give me grace to say what I need to say. And he's faithful. He's faithful to help me. Um, God's faithfulness lies of our children. Hardly a day passes where Yvonne and I are not praying together for all of our children by name. Whether that's at night before we go to bed, whether that's with our small ones we go to bed, whether that's even at the dinner table sometimes. And God is faithfully working in their lives. And I... I don't know how the correlation there is, but God is, God is answering those prayers. I'll just say this, so probably because the existence of this church is an answer to prayer. I mean, you might, you might think that, oh, Rock Valley Bible Church, it's always existed. Yeah, that's a church on Alpine, and yeah, look at all those people. They've always been there. Well, I remember when Rock Valley Bible Church had that many people, or maybe that many people, 
Or maybe Yvonne and I. Actually, Rock Valley Bible Church started and Hannah wasn't even around. We had two children probably when, before there was anybody. There weren't any people. We didn't even have a name. We're just like, oh, let's, let's pray for God. We're in DeKalb. Let's pray for God to do his church planning work someplace. And you're all answers to prayer. I think about another answer to prayer in recent days has to do with we have a, a Chinese student living with us who's admittedly not a Christian and um, has, has lived here before in a house of a pastor and she tried the church thing and the church thing just doesn't work for her. So, you know, so she'd been to church here once. Maybe she'll come Christmas Eve. You can pray for that. We'll invite her. Um, but we're just praying, how can we... We were living the gospel before her. We definitely were praying... You know, we're just even doing some Advent things over dinner table just to just to promote kind of some discussion there. But it's a delicate thing to not push her into that. And one of the best things that even came about as we're praying about that, how that might happen was uh, that she needs to do some some requirements of some community service. And so found out about Kids Club. And so like she comes Thursday is her day to come. She doesn't come all the time, but she comes Thursday. Kids, and that's where the gospel is clear and she just hears it and sees it in the children just a way that she hears it in ways that she does she just thinks it's kind of service and she sits there and she's cold but we're praying for her but god has been faithful to give opportunities there's an answer to prayer even in recent days all right quickly this this, this morning we need to we need to leave we've looked at our heart looked at our prayers now let's look at your life look at your life this is really the the theme all of first john is is right here Right? Look at your life. The, the premise of 1 John is this. You profess to know Jesus, wonderful. Well, how are you living? Because it's your life that's going to give you confidence in that. And if your life is astray, then I don't care what you, prayer you've prayed or what you say, you don't have assurance. But if your life matches up and if you see a measure of, of obedience in your life, if you see a, matter of, a measure of love in your life to others, or if you see... Right, you're believing in the right Jesus. That's the obedience test and the love test and the doctrinal test. You see all those things. You can be assured that you're a Christian. And this is exactly what 23 and 24 says. We're going over the same again, but we'll just go one more time. And this is his commandment. Okay? In other words, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So if, some, if, you, if something's not, not quite there, your answers to prayer you're not seeing, well, he's going to explain this is what his commandment is. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. It's really everything we've been looking for since late August. I think this is my 13th sermon on John. Every Sunday we've just been 1 John, 1 John, 1 John, 1 John. Same thing over and over. Steady dose of obedience and love. Obedience toward God. Love towards one another. But there is something here that's surprising. Not sure if you caught it. The surprising thing is that this is the first time John has mentioned anything about believing. He's more than halfway through the letter. He hasn't even talked about faith and believing yet. Verse 23, and this is commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. I find that shocking. Because that's where 
life with God begins, right? It begins with faith. It begins when you see your sin before God and, and, and know that you need forgiveness and know that you're under His condemnation, know that you need a, a Savior, and you realize that Jesus is your Savior. And so you turn from your sin, you repent, and you believe and trust in Christ to save you from your sins. Not the things you do, but it's, it's through faith. That's where it all begins. And all these works in First John flow from your faith. However... This is where you need to be care, very careful with word studies. Word studies are deceitful because, oh, this is the first time that faith is mentioned. That's true. But there's been a lot of, of other things corresponding to that, like chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and what He's talking about there is Obviously, confessing your sins to Christ and, and to God and to see that He's going to forgive your sins. And how can you forgive your sins? But through the work of faith on the cross. And that requires a bit of faith to confess your sins to God. Or in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, the, the word, maybe it's not faith, but it's knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, a liar, and the truth is not in Him. You could just replace faith there. It means the same thing. By this we know that we have come to believe in Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I believe in Him, or I trust Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. So that the knowledge is very much the same concept. Or uh, another part, chapter 2, verse 24, 20, 28. 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and the Father. It's talking about a communion. It's talking about a knowledge. It's talking about a relationship. It's talking about a connection. That's what faith is. It's connecting. It's trusting in God. Or how about chapter 2, 22, right? Who's a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son is the Father. Whoever confesses the Son is the Father also. Confessing the Son is an act of faith. Right? You believe, you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. There. So, even though belief isn't used till now, the concept hasn't been there, but the emphasis upon faith has not been emphasized until now. Later it will be. Chapter 5, we'll see it a lot. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And he'll talk about faith a lot in chapter 5. And we will, we will get to that. But right here, the emphasis is this. In your life, as you look at your life, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you realize that you're commanded to believe in Jesus? Luke 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't trust Him for the forgiveness. You can't. You you haven't even begun a walk with God. Haven't even started. That's His command to believe. And when you believe, you will have love for the brethren. I believe there are three things here. There's belief, verse twenty-three. There is love, right? We need to believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another. Just He commandment. Just, just He has commanded us. And we need to obey. You keep His commandments, you abide in God and God in Him. We'll talk next week about what it means to abide in God and God abiding in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. But it means their, their communion. Do you know communion with God? How is your life? We've taken inventory this morning. Are you believing in Him? Are you trusting in Him? Are you obeying Him? If so, you, you have reason to be assured and be assured, church family. 
But if there's places in your inventory where it's not quite right, I'd say encourage you to make it right. And follow and pursue after God. Confess your sins and pursue Him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that you would do your work. Do your work of, of inventory here. God, to test us, to show us. God, to reprove us, convict us. Comfort us, oh God. That we are in Christ. God, that we know His forgiveness. And we're walking with Him. Oh God, be our help, be our strength. We need you, God. May this not just be an empty message. May it fall upon ears. May conviction be there, God. And I think of the final day. God, perhaps this message will come to mind as a turning point in someone's life. God, may it stir all of us on to comfort in the love of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.